Welcome to the Product Podcast, Episode 3, an interview with Senior Director of Product at Dragos, Jimmy Graham. I'm your host, Jordan Wilkerson. Welcome to Episode 3 of the podcast. So today's very exciting for two reasons. One is the first episode where we're going to be interviewing a guest. And two, the guest is a fantastic guest. (laughs) Uh, Our guest today is Jimmy Graham. He's a senior product manager. He's been in the field for a very long time. He's a director of product at my company at Dragos, um, where we work together pretty much every day. He's a really brilliant guy. I don't want to give too much preamble, but regardless of your level, this is going to be a useful interview for you to listen to. So please enjoy. All right. So with me today is uh, Jimmy Graham. Jimmy, thank you for for joining the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. So so we're going to jump right into this. Uh, I think the first question is really just to to tell us and, and the audience about yourself. Um, what is it that you do day to day and what your background is? Sure. So um, like you said, I'm Jimmy Graham. So right now I'm the um, Senior Director of Product Management um, at Dragos. Um, Prior to that, I was senior director of product management at, at Qualys. So um, for the last several years, I have been doing product management. Before that, I was an information security manager um, at a bank. Prior to that, I was at a university um, doing InfoSec. So I've been doing InfoSec for, for a long while um, now in my career. And um, for the last um, five or so years, I've been doing product management. Cool. And uh, so, so you and I both work for Dragos, uh, which is why I was able to, to get Jimmy so quickly for those that are wondering. So I, I think it's important to caveat that everything we say here is, is our opinions versus uh, it's not necessarily Dragos's opinions. Um, but uh, I'll let you do the talking since, since you're the director of product, you're in the know. Can you, can you tell the audience a bit about Dragos and about, um, you know, I think that'll be a good lead in into talking about some of the projects that you're, that you're working on there? Sure. Yeah, so we're we're an ICS um, OT security company. So um, we do a few different things in areas. So if you're not familiar with ICS and, and OT as, as acronyms, you know, industrial control system, ICS, OT, operational technology. So so we provide security services and products and threat intelligence to those in this kind of OT world where they're working with. Um, large machines, things that produce power, you know, heavy equipment, things that um, involve the operations of uh, manufacturing plants and so on, um, power plants, and the, the list goes on. It's the things that aren't IT. It's not the information technology. It's not the, you know, the computers on people's desktops and the servers in the data center. But it might be things like the HVAC systems that um, are inside the data center, you know, and so on. A lot of these things, of course, have are connected into the network now. Um, so there's a need for, for network security. So um, we, we have the best threat intelligence that there is to offer covering threat, threat groups and industries and uh, different industries, vulnerabilities, IOCs. And then we do services like breach assessment and tabletop exercises and incident response and various just kind of service oriented things like that. And then I cover uh, what is the Dragos platform. So we have a, we have a product as well. Um, that's our flagship product. And, uh, and that's, basically, that's basically what we do. I guess to answer the question of what what I've been working on lately, um, we just launched our 2.0 version of our platform, which was um, a big focus on uh, making it easier to deploy, easy to manage once it's in an environment, and offering some more flexible options in our in our hardware as well as our, our virtual platform. So that's been a, a fairly big launch for us, and um, that's something that we just did uh, just at the end of 2021. 
Yeah, it, it was a it was a massive undertaking, and I you know you played a very pivotal role in defining that and, and helping with the rollout. Um, and so you know this this podcast generally is is focused on the role of product, not necessarily the things that we're working on. So you know I think it's important to to note that the the interesting thing about Dragos, I don't know if you if you feel the same, at least for from my perspective, coming from a more IT centric background, um, has been really how do you apply some of these sort of common principles not just of 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 product or or you know engineering team focus or agile focus or delivery kind of things that apply kind of everywhere regardless of industry but how you get it to fit uh within this space it, it's it's been really interesting to see because it doesn't fit perfectly as as you're as you're aware like you know standard practices don't necessarily right. apply all the time. Um, and I know yes. that's really unique per industry, but I think here, especially this is such a niche industry that it's been a, a really interesting kind of, uh, thing to observe. Yeah. It's, it's, um, the, the concepts that you have in it don't necessarily apply in OT, you know, in, in it downtime is bad and depending on your industry, downtime can be very bad, you know, if you're in financial, um, but in OT downtime is a safety issue. Um, you know, it's, it's in, in many industries. Um, so, so yeah, it's one of those situations where downtime is, is there has to be zero downtime. We have to keep the power, um, on, you know, safety systems have to remain running, um, manufacturing floors have to continue manufacturing, um, all these different things is where, you know, in the IT world, it's okay to, you know, do a vulnerability scan or a discovery scan looking for assets. Um, that's not the case in the OT world. That that could have an impact, a negative impact on on this type of equipment. Yeah, it's 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 insanely interesting. And to to anybody who is even remotely interested, um, I would recommend to to follow Dragos, follow our competitors as well. I mean, the the growth has been exponential, even from the time that I've started over about a year ago. It's it's definitely if you're interested, check us out. And also, uh, just just you know, generally try to follow leaders in the industry for sure. All right, so I want to transition now more into questions on the role. So as you mentioned, you know, you've you've held a lot of sort of uh, VP level roles, a lot of director level roles, but you're also extremely hands on in your tactical and your approach, and and you apply that to your strategic thinking that your role sort of demands. But I'm curious, as a technologist at heart, what what made you take the transition into product management versus, you know, just kind of continuing down the individual contributor path? Um, so, so basically, you know, before I was in product, I was a um, basically an, in, an information security manager at a bank, um, running vulnerability management, application security, and red team that that type of thing. And I used products in that role, um, and I built really good relationships with the product teams. You know, not just kind of putting in feature requests and that kind of thing, but also going to conferences, reaching out, talking to the product teams and, and building relationships where we could have conversations about, you know, where, what the next big feature should be, what the next big release of the product should be. I found, um, you know, I worked with uh, IBM and some product teams there since we were using um, IBM for application security at the time. Um, I worked with Qualys, of course, um, since that's what we were using for vulnerability management, got to know the product team there. Um, it got to the point where I was suggesting things that that they recognized were were things that were 
on their roadmap, which was good as validation that they they need to be there, but also that we had some pretty good alignment between my line of thinking and their line of thinking. And that basically led to me pursuing a role at Qualys. Um, so that's basically how I got into it was really just, you know, having a product mindset and thinking, how can we improve this for me as a user? And, you know, and then that that becoming, you know, how do I, you know, work in this role? I enjoy this. I enjoy building product. I enjoy um, making this better for everyone, you know, not just for my own use, but for, you know, everyone else that, that comes to the customer conferences and so on. Yeah, for sure. And I, I felt the same way and I had a similar kind of experience as well. I, you know, went from an, from an analyst kind of a position, data analy- analytics, that kind of stuff into a project management role where I was doing product functions more or less, right? I was doing a bunch of things as a consultant. And I see a lot of people that transition either from a, a hard sort of engineering kind of a position um, or a general sort of managerial position into that kind of a role. But I think, you know, the the best position as far as I, I've always recommended to anyone, um, let alone from the start of the podcast, has been sort of that that middle layer kind of a role where you sit the fence between the technical group and and the business functions or the product functions. And I think that's a good lead into just a an opinion kind of a question to you. You know, I've I've seen sort of I don't know I I wouldn't call it like a major upheaval in the industry in terms of just product management, but I have seen a, a pretty substantial shift. Right, like when I was in college, you know, you, you had to be a software engineer if you wanted to go out and get into like a Fang company. Right, you had to be. Um, and eventually you would transition into a role like this, but there wasn't really a, a major focus on product or even a, the sentiment that you could come out of school uh, and jump right into a product position. Um, now, I think that's shifted, right? That it's, it's kind of been built up in parallel to the software engineering track, more or less. Now I see, you know, product schools all over the place. I see MBA programs explicitly for product management, tons of Udemy courses, et cetera. Why do you think that this is happening. Why do you think that the role of, of product managers is kind of coming to the forefront of a lot of people's minds? Why do you think it's it's growing? Or, or do you feel that way? So I do. I, I definitely have seen that. It's it's something that's that's become um, you know more and more of a role that recruiters are looking for and companies are hiring for. And to me, what's driving a lot of that? And again, this is this is you know one person's opinion on the matter. But I think the digital transformation that we're seeing a lot of organizations is a pretty key factor in it as you you know begin transitioning to this digital world that requires someone to kind of come up with what are the features set for this thing that we're offering no matter what your industry is no matter what you're doing you know it makes sense to start working with more mature product development that's kind of another thing that plays hand in hand with that is we're seeing a more maturity within the product development processes people moving to agile and so on and that requires defined roles and defined um, people that are that are involved with it and a product manager is something that you need to basically help with that um, that process, someone that will be there to represent the the product from the from the customer viewpoint and from the business viewpoint, and work with engineering on exactly how that should work and so on. Uh, but I think it's it's really just exploding because we're seeing a lot of that digital transformation. We're seeing a lot more of these more mature product development um, cycles. And I, I think that's a a good a good well rounded statement in terms of like the value add of the role, right? I, but but ultimately, you know, the the PM role, at least that I've personally experienced and that I've seen others experience, is it's very different from company to company. The one thing that I've I've still been trying to pinpoint: what are the functions that are universal, 
sort of regardless of the industry, regardless of how a company defines it, that make the PM a, a important function. You mentioned when you're going through digital transformation that it's important to have this this level of maturity. And I think within that, that implies that you have this person or persons in a product group sort of driving process and driving product discovery and engagement and pushing people towards design thinking and all that kind of stuff. But in your view, out of all the things that a PM does, what do you feel is the most important function of your role, right? Like I've heard varying opinions on this when people say, oh, it always ties back to the roadmap or, oh, it's, it's, we need to have vision statements in order to develop things. But personally, I view these things as kind of arbitrary to some of the core functions of the role. So I'm curious your stance on it. Like, what do you feel is like your key differentiator? Like if you weren't at Dragos as an example, what do you feel would be lacking there? Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think it is beyond just, you know, road mapping, setting the roadmap and saying, this is the product, you know, here, here and henceforth. Um, to me, it's, it's kind of being that, you know, glue between the, the customer and the engineering teams, but bi-directionally. It's not just collecting customer requirements, writing um, PRDs and shipping them off to someone. It's also helping engineers to understand the customer, helping them to understand the use cases and and work with that and kind of represent the product and make sure that all aspects of the product are, are being taken care of. Um, there's a lot of different roles within organizations. Like you said, every organization is different. Product manager can, can mean a lot of different things, but it becomes a role where you interact with, you know, every leader at the company. You know, you'll be interacting with customer success. You'll be interacting with sales. You'll be interacting with account managers and engineering and strategy and everyone. It's, there's very few roles that don't in some way need to interact with the product manager. So so it is, I'd say it's a very flexible position where you basically fill needs kind of as you see them, as long as you stay on target, as long as you you understand that, you know, you're there to be focused on the product, but, you know, you're focused on the success of the organization as a whole and making sure that, that you can help facilitate that. Um, you know, and there are others that are going to pick that up as well. Um, you know, I work with um, product owners um, like yourself who, you know, work with these products and engineering teams more directly and do a lot of that type of moving along of the process and so on. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it is a, you have to be a good team member to be a product manager. You cannot be someone who, you know, wants to just write PRDs and, and ship them off to someone. Um, it has to be collaborative. And um, if you're not, if you're not the kind of person that likes collaborating with a lot of different people, hearing a lot of different ideas, and um, then it's, it's not the right role. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I've had people ask, even, even, uh, and Dragos, when we're talking about, we we do these tech talks and I did one on, you know, product ownership, product stewardship. And I had a bunch of people that are individual contributors today sort of reach out and, and ask more questions like they were interested. But one of the things that I had mentioned was like, it's very different. It's a very different kind of a thing. You, you, you have to expect that a large part of your job is going to be collaborating. And what that really means is you're going to be talking in meetings a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? you're going to be and understanding that it's not a it's not a burden. It's it's a necessity, really. And uh, when it comes to execution, you're going to have a very small window of time in order to do that because of the fact that you need to be talking with people and coordinating with people and understanding everyone's sort of uh, motives and ambitions and priorities. So, Right. And, I've, and that's some people will see my calendar and say, oh, you're 
it must be a terrible week. I see you're, you know, you're booked on a lot of meetings. And I, I tell them my, my job is to have meetings in a lot of ways. As obviously, I have some deliverables in terms of creating requirements and uh, answering RFPs and, and, and so on. There's things that I do that I produce it as a work product. But a lot of my job is to have those meetings. Um, and that, that's what makes sense. That's what that's part of the role. Yeah, yeah. And and so one of the things that I that I indexed on while you were talking is the fact that you're the glue between your users and general stakeholders at large and the engineering organization. You know, one of the challenges that uh, I've experienced in the past and working with other organizations that are you know struggling to stand up a product function, they have a really hard time with product discovery. Right, like metrics seem to be the easy thing to come up with. You know, obviously testing and validating and adjusting those is difficult, but you know, coming up with the things that you want measured is something that I feel it really any any role could come up with. Right, everybody wants to know certain things about whatever it is that they're working on. You could kind of spitball stuff with that. To me, the hard part about the role is product discovery. So. What I mean by that is, how do you come up with new ideas? It's not just how do you come up with an idea and then ask a bunch of people if they th- if they like it. So, what's your strategy um, when it comes to new idea development? What's what's the balance between sort of your gut feel, right, that you have knowing the space, knowing the product, knowing the organization, knowing what what can and cannot be delivered, versus getting something from a customer maybe that you didn't think about and weighing that versus the things that you are thinking about? How do you how do you go about that? Do you go by a framework? Do you kind of have steps to what, what do you do? So, you know, I mean, the, the primary source that I have for, you know, new ideas is, is like you said, there's, there's, there's uh, talking to customers is definitely a big one. There's kind of a unique position that I'm in at Dragos um, because we have so many former, you know, practitioners that have direct experience with ICS and OT and working with security solutions and being customers of security solutions. That I have a lot of internal resources as well, so I'm not, um, you know, just relying on customers for for input. But I'd say I, I'm fairly uh, open ended when it comes to receiving input. I want to receive input. I want to receive feature requests um, and ideas from people and from as many people as possible. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean someone who has direct experience. Um, you know, obviously I may weigh input differently depending on um, the experience level that it's coming from. But sometimes someone who's who's not had industry experience necessarily, but has had experience with the product say, you know what, why doesn't it work like this? Why doesn't it do this kind of thing? And I like to hear people out and, and kind of see what makes sense. So we, we do have, you know, other ways to gather information. Our UX team does design reviews which is a good way to basically say, does this interaction pattern make sense? How do you like to use this? How do you not like to use this? I like to listen on those. UX runs those. I don't run those directly, but I get to, to consume a lot of information from those. So trying to trying to you know balance that that customer input that we have with what's the actual product, what is the thing that we build is really just taking a lot of input and then getting the customers to boil it down to their use cases, not what solution are you presenting to me? But what problem are you trying to solve? And if you can get everyone to, to kind of speak that language on what problem am I trying to solve, it's a lot easier to start seeing alignment between all of those different ideas. So someone says, well, I, I have an idea that we could you know, add this button here and it can do this thing. That's neat. Why do you want to do that? 
and then you find out what's driving them, what their actual need is, you find someone else who's suggesting something totally different and their needs actually align and you can merge that those multiple requests into a single single solution. So you say, well, if I introduce this type of thing, you know, this automated tagging engine, then I, I, I solve your problem and your problem and your problem and your problem with this one thing and that decreases the amount of development time and engineering time to, to build that and architect those solutions. And then all of the customers are, are satisfied with that solution. And then it can even be extended to do more use cases you haven't thought of yet. So I'd say it's, it's um, that's kind of the, the biggest part of, of being a product manager is getting down and boiling it down to what are the actual needs and then turning those into solutions, but not one-off point solutions, one per request. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things about this role is really just the sheer amount of ideas that are generated, you know, just from basic kind of conversations, right? You could be in a, in a meeting about something totally different. And like you mentioned, somebody kind of out of left field says, well, you know, I tried to do this and, and we're like, oh, it's not currently capable of that. And then all of a sudden there's a light bulb that goes off like, oh, maybe it should be capable of doing that. Right. Um, you know, I, now let's say you're in a scenario. I, I think this is a, a challenge that, um, you know, the not just my community, but the, the community at large, you know, I've gotten some questions from Blind and from Reddit as well. And people are all, in all kinds of situations at Fangs and you know, at, at general sort of startups and general sort of Fortune 500 or below companies. And one of the things that people really struggle with is prioritization. So, you know, you mentioned that you you get these ideas from various sources and including, you, you know, your gut and your feel of, of what's good and, and, and just, right, in the, in the industry, what's the right thing to do. But if you have a bunch of those, the answer typically is, oh, well, you know, use, use the game framework, right, and, and come up with a bunch of metrics and just measure those metrics to validate if your prioritizations are correct or, you know, to validate that you can measure value. Um, but I think in some cases that's, that's very important to, to have, but there's also scenarios, uh, I, I believe in, in Dragos as, as a good example, where not all the metrics you would want or you're capable of getting, right? So I guess this is a two-parter kind of a question. It's, it's one, how do you decide out of that laundry list of ideas that you get, how do you decide which ones to work on? And then once you work on them, how do you how do you define that they're successful, that they've achieved the value that you that you wanted? So I'd say it's you know it's it's a blend of a few different methods, some quantitative, some qualitative. You know, just depending on the maturity of the organization that you're in, as to you know the maturity of the product as well. Um, there's going to be some things that are you know just requirements in terms of product. There may be a a regulation or something that says you know you have to have this in there. So you can't really put that onto a you know value effort matrix and say we're you know this is this is an optional thing. It's something that becomes a, a hard requirement or um, there may be some things that customers have asked for. And then of course I, you could kind of put it on a value effort matrix by just bumping up the value. But I mean that's that's more or less the the method that I like to use is something like a value effort matrix too. And there's many different names for, for that, of course, with different quadrants in it, but that's usually what they boil down to. What's the value? What's the effort? So having a good engineering team that can give you high level LOEs 
um, helps a lot because you can start understanding how many things you can fit in, what you can fit in. You know, it's it's on to the it's on the PM to determine what the value is going to be, whether that's meeting you know customer needs, demands, or regulatory compliance or whatever it is. But getting those LOEs from engineering is key to be able to say, okay, it makes sense for us to go ahead and move forward with this because you've got what's the value of this the company, and you've got what is the effort that's required to to produce this. And of course, measuring that. It can, depending on what it is, um, you know, you can measure that in a quantitative or qualitative way. Our current way of measuring, and and I I like this for, for where we are, is you know having a lot of customer interviews, and that's why we have those UX design reviews and feature reviews, and sitting down with key customers and customers that have asked for specific features and say, you know, is this is this what you're looking for? Although because we do a lot of customer engagement, we usually know the answer to that before the the you know, they're not surprised by the final um, feature that's released and so on. And that helps, um, you know, with having a, a customer base that you can do that with. Um, otherwise, you're looking at, at more quantitative, you know, metrics by did anyone click on this feature? Did anyone use this? You know, what's the satisfaction? Does someone get frustrated when using this? How many, you know, uh, feature requests are we getting now that we have introduced this feature? Maybe we missed something, you know, so there's a lot of opportunity uh, if you're collecting the right data to be able to to dive into that, you know, with with Drago specifically, you know, we're in many cases not internet connected, so it's not you know it's not a SaaS platform. You can gather lots of um, uh, metrics around: did the user click on this? Did they use this workflow? Did they move from point A to point B um, in a certain certain amount of time? Um, so I think it's it's one of those things where you have to adapt your your methods of gathering those those different um, uh, indicators depending on the the environment that you're in. Okay, so so now kind of transitioning more towards uh, a little bit personal questions, I suppose. What's the what's the hardest decision uh, that you've had to personally make in your career as a PM? So um, for me, and this this might sound. Uh, cliche, and I don't mean it to be this because this is absolutely my answer. Um, I would say breaking commitment to a customer is a very big deal to me. I'm not saying that because I think our customers are going to be listening. I, d- I don't think it's likely that they will be. Um, that's not your that's not your target audience. But that is probably one of the biggest things. When I work with customers, I you know build a relationship with them, and I I like I you know I I cherish that idea that they think of me as that's Jimmy. I can trust him. He's going to give me how it is. You know, he's going to tell me what the roadmap is. And if there's going to be a delay, he's going to let me know, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, when I've got a, a customer who's, who's dependent on a certain feature or something, and there's a reason, maybe it's, you know, something completely outside of our control, but that commitment has to be broken for some reason. Um, I I hate having to to deliver that news. And I always, you know, I don't push that off to anyone else. I don't push that off to um, the account managers or anyone. I, I deliver, I've always volunteered to deliver that myself, but it just sucks to have to say that, to say, I told you I'd deliver this and I didn't, you know, and it's not, you know, that's not the time. And this is just general advice to product managers. That's not the time to throw engineering under the bus. That's not the time to throw anyone under the bus. You're the face of the product. Um, you have to take ownership and responsibility and say, look, we didn't get this. Now, there's an external factor, supply chain or whatever. It's okay to talk about that as long as it's clear that you're not you're not making excuses. The commitment was there. The commitment was broken. Um, but I'd say that's probably the, the, the toughest decisions that I have to make or, or ones that are going to impact something like that. And um, luckily, I haven't had to encounter that um, too often where we, where we are today. Um, but it is something that that comes up and by necessity does come up if you're a product manager. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, 
Okay, so so this is the you know you're the you're the flagship interview for me uh, on the podcast. This is the third episode and the first one that we're we're doing an interview. So one thing that I wanted to do is sort of allude to the audience, right? I've had some time to collect some metrics across the demographics that are listening to this, and uh, just kind of polling. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the social network blind yet, but it's a, it's a cynical wasteland as I refer to it. It's just a, that's a, a bunch of people that's that a think, good way. Uh, you know, $550,000 a year is, is, is not <laughs> enough to own a house and things like that. Um, so, but that said, um, you know, it is, it is the spread of people and experience that I've witnessed, which is what I wanted, right? I want this to be able to cater towards people that are already in a role like, like mine or like yours. Um, or that are just trying to break in, right? There's a pretty healthy balance between the two. Um, and in, in the last episode, in episode two, I talked about, you know, imposter syndrome and how to get over that. But I also talked about when you're at these various levels in, in your career, like in the product space, what my general advice was to kind of jump between those, those levels. Um, so I, I'd like to start with the, the one that the, the questions that come up the most are focused around the catch 22 of, of how to break into a role like this, right? Do you go into that individual contributor track? Do you try to get into sort of an incubator program, you know, what have you? So obviously this is going to be subjective on your, based on your experience, right? But I am curious, like as somebody who is at a senior level now in your career in this space, what advice would you give to people that are trying to break into a product manager role, either for the first time, you know, coming fresh out of school, or, you know, those that are already in a position that want to transition or, or get to the next level? What, what advice would you give those two, two groups? So I, I'm glad you pointed out that it's subjective because, you know, whenever Whenever someone's asked this question, I think it's it's always good to, to put it in the context that there's always going to be some survivorship bias, you know, because you can ask people what made you successful, what what got you to to this position or, or or whatever, and you know, some people think of that as well. I just I did these steps, so that must be the steps that that get you there, um, and that kind of shows that survivorship bias to to say, well, you know, that's not necessarily all the factors that that played into it. But um, that said, I do. I do have some things that did seem to help me um, that I could probably speak to that are, you know, were specific to to my situation, but may apply to other people's situation. Um, but it may not be universal. Um, but I, but it's you know it's good. I think these are good questions to ask as long as they're taken into that context. That you know it's sometimes the the people that are are just aren't the best people to to tell you that uh, because that's the survivorship bias. So I would say if you're not you know, one of the tracks is clearly, you know, the, the software engineer um, path. And I think software engineers can make really good product managers. I think that that's, um, that's definitely one of the one of the paths. Um, I don't think product management should be seen as kind of a, a step up from engineering. Um, I don't like when there's that kind of concept of like, well, I've reach the top, like if your organization isn't structured well, if you feel like you have to move to product management to, to you know, escape engineering, I have escape in quotes. Um, and, it, you know, to me, those are parallel tracks, like you, you had mentioned earlier. You have your engineering path, you have your, your product management. And to me, it shouldn't, 
you shouldn't be capped to say, oh, I can't get a raise unless I become a product manager. That's not a great way to do it. But if you're, there are plenty of, you know, software engineers who do have parallel tracks and want to break into it. Um, I don't have a lot of advice. I know you'll have other guests and, you know, maybe yourself have, have um, experienced that, but I can speak to how do you go from, you know, not being in product, not in product uh, development or, or, or software engineering and, you know, by being users of, of these tools, that kind of thing. So my recommendation would be if you are in, let's say, information security or you're in IT or you're in some field, you're going to be consumer. You're going to be a consumer of products to some degree. You might not be the, the you know, the, the buyer who's going to actually, um, you know, pay the money for it, but you're one of the users for it. I recommend getting into customer groups, getting into those customer advisory boards and um, getting into ever many groups, meetup groups, um, getting in front of product teams. That's where there's often a lot of product teams going into conferences, meeting with people, build relationships with the product teams, get to know them. And if you feel like you have something to offer, um, make sure that they're aware of that. A lot of job you know, listings will say X amount of um, product management experience required. That's not always followed exactly to the letter if someone has a deep amount of direct experience hands-on in that area. You know, If you're trying to hire a a product manager for a sim, someone who has you know little product management skills, but maybe had something that was relevant that uh, maybe they've done some people management, that kind of thing. But they have deep experience, you know, running a sim, running a sock, or you know whatever that is. Then you know that you might be looked at as as a potential candidate for that type of thing, or maybe you'd be looked at for a, for a different role that's kind of you know close to to that product role that you're looking for. So to me, it's it's all about um, building relationships with. Um, with those different groups. If you're trying to break into it just completely without a background in that at all, that's what worked for me. That might not work for everyone. Again, I, you know, there was always that survivorship bias. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, I touched on that a little bit in the last episode as well, right? Um, not to say I know everything either, but I've seen a lot of people do just that, right? Where they're in a parallel role or they're in it on a team, right? On an agile team in some capacity, um, or even just interacting with teams like sysadmins, things like that, that, you know, they, they do get what the role is. They may not know sort of all the intricacies they're in, but I think the important thing is a, is a willingness to learn and exposure. Like you said, if, if you're interested, go talk to product people in your company and be like, hey, I want to do what you do. Can I, can I come along for the other things that you're doing outside of the meetings I have with you? Like, I found that people are more than willing to let you do that. Right. Do you want to sit in on customer calls? Do you want to sit in on usability studies? Like what whatever you're interested in, I find people are more than willing to, you know, not offload some of their work, but get you exposed to what they're doing because it's just going to benefit them in the long run too. Right. If they if they need somebody else who's interested in the work, who are they going to talk to first? Right. It's not going to be the people that don't say anything. Right. Um, because they won't know that there's an interest there. Um so okay, that that I think that's really really well said. So I, I, this is a overly generic uh, question, and it's kind of cringy to be honest, but it gets asked a lot uh, to me, and so I figured I'll use this as a common question to ask across uh, all of the guests as well. So out of all of the things that that you possess from a skills perspective, what do you view as being vital uh, to the role of a PM? Like out of all the skills, technical, non-technical, soft skills, whatever, um, what do you view as the one that, if you had to pick, is the most valuable to you day to day? I would say um, 
probably just be flexible, <laughs> flexibility, um, being able to adapt. That's that's probably the biggest thing. Like I said uh, earlier, if you're if you're the type that wants to you know dictate requirements and say this is how it's going to be and you know send them off and expect it to be built and that be what's valuable to the organization, it's it's not the right role for you. Um, things change and you have to, to change with them. Customer requirements are going to change. Um, you know, the, the number of customers, you know, hopefully is going to grow and grow um, at your organization. If that's what you're targeting. And that, that changes things. New customers come on board. People start doing new POCs. You know, you'll get um, things that come from the, from the top down and that's fine. There are people that are, that are there to be steering the organization and that requires some shifting. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, it's, you know, you should have pride and ownership of the product, but, you know, don't treat your, your roadmap as some invention, you know, that you've created that is, um, cannot be, be changed. It's important to understand that, um, there's going to be different needs. A lot of times, um, people talk about conflicting priorities in, in the business. And I understand that language. That's fine. But there, it's really seemingly conflict, conflicting priorities. At the end of the day, you're trying to deliver the most value to, to customers. Um, whether you're getting that from the top down or you're getting that from customers directly and everyone has their own ideas of how to do that. And that's where you get the conflicts. The, the priority is, is going to be the same, you know, no matter what. So I'd say that having the ability just to be flexible is probably one of the, one of the biggest skills. Yeah. And I, you know, just anecdotally, if you're not flexible, uh, then you, it, by default, uh, you move into asshole territory, right? I mean that that that's the reality is, is that you're you're sort of saying that you're you're stalwart in your decision making, and that uh, your judgment is greater than others just inherently by not being adaptable. Um, not saying you can't push back right, right on, on things, but uh, I think just saying, hey, you know, on, on the flip side, you can't have people saying, "Well, this sucks," and have no alternative to it. Right? That's the other part of it that. Um, in my experience, I, I see more often is that people are like, well, I don't want to do this, but have no alternative, right? Um, in which case, priority isn't affected still, right. um, but it, it causes disruption and, and culture issues. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think flexibility is, is certainly, it's, it's a learned skill for a lot of people. So I think it's something that has to be called out is that you're not expected to uh, come up with something and have it be the defining factor for the business forever, right? It's It's going to change, so... Um, it's insightful. Um, all right. And so the, the last, last question I have is, is one that I've gotten a lot of heat for, um, in the past. And, uh, I don't know if this is going to burn me for, uh, an HR person's perspective for all of eternity. So it might be a career ender for me, but I, the way I look at this is, is, is I'm pretty passionate about this, but I'll leave my bias out of the question. So, um, I don't know if you've had a lot of experience with this directly, but I am curious on your opinion. So one of the things when it comes to hiring um, in general, it's hiring's tough, right? It's, it's the most expensive thing you can do. Um, having people turn over within a year is, is the most expensive cost to a business, right? Um, or within a year, rather. It's, it's insanely expensive overall. Um, and it seems like because of this large influx of, of interest in this area in particular, um, we've gotten to the era that was sort of the the big blocker, the big gatekeeping function for software engineers, like when when Google was getting really big and Amazon Web Services was getting really big, and they had to have like a gate for all of this new interest. And 
you know, back in the day for, for engineering functions, it was like those really abstract questions, you know, like, um, tell me the amount of people on a street in San Francisco at any given time, like, you know, this kind of, this kind of questions that, and then followed by a quick tech interview or, or whiteboarding session that people would get nervous and sweat bullets over right now, what seems to be happening is like for software engineers, uh, it's moving towards leak code questions and people are being lazy and being like, let's, t- let's take the hardest leak code questions we have and we'll put them in front of people. Now for, for product management or product roles in general, it seems that the take home assignment is now the big thing, right? Um, where they'll, they'll ask you abstract questions like, Hey, if you were to redesign Facebook's newsfeed on the web, how would you do that? I want you to take that question and put a whole proposal together spend time on it and come back and do what they call a jam session um, where they make you present to senior leadership on your proposal, right? So something similar, right? That happens a lot now. Um, what's your take on this when it comes to hiring? Is this something that you would find to be valuable or have found to be valuable? Do you view it as being necessary or not? So I, I don't find it necessary um, and, it, and to me, it also depends on the, the nature of the, the, the take-home assignment. I, I was never a fan of homework uh, as a kid. <laughs> I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, go back, we're going to talk to you and then have you go back and do this assignment. Um, where I've seen benefit, you know, and I don't, I don't consider this homework as much as, um, you know, just, just standard prep, I guess. There is, I guess there is an aspect of homework to it, but I've worked in an organization where we did presentations as basically the final interview. But those presentations were not go, go do this thing. We're going to task you with it. It was open-ended. Give us a presentation on something that's related to the role that you're passionate about, you know, very open-ended. And that was specifically for roles that require that kind of presentation. You know, that is the way to, to evaluate that. If, if you're trying to do something like that for a role that doesn't require that type of skill set, then it, you know, it doesn't, you know, make sense. Like, it's like those open-ended weird questions with how do you solve this weird, complicated problem? And you're really filtering it down to people who are, you know, quick thinkers, which might be a factor in some roles, but not every role. Sometimes you just need someone to, to take requirements and, and build the thing. And, and that's fine. You don't need all this um, you know, weird abstract thought that's done at a, you know, that's done by, by different people. And I, and I think that there's a lot of extra filtering that's done. Some people may, you know, receive a question like that and then get very nervous, like you said, and now they're, they're not able to do that. But in their role, they'll never be put on the spot. There are roles, though, where you are put on the spot. And that's when it does make sense to, within the interview, um, be able to test that. How does this person think when they're put on the spot? Um, so I'd, I'd say I, I think it depends on what the requirements of the role are, but I have seen pretty good success in saying, hey, let's let's do a presentation because then you can see their pr- presentation style. You can see how they organize. You can see um, how they, you know, and it's it's not you don't necessarily need to judge the to- topic that they choose. You know, again, it's, it should be open ended and you should have that in your mind, not have some hidden answer. Like if you well, I expected them to do it on this topic. Uh, no, no, no. Um, you know, judge it for its 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 content in terms of how they dove in and tackled the the topic um, and that kind of thing. If you already have the answer of of what direction you want it to go, then guide them in that direction to make sure that you're setting up for success. Um, as long as it's being treated as a as a means to assess the the individual's capacity of how they would function in the role, I think it's fine. But I don't like the adversarial 
aspect that I can get to where it's let me see who I can stump or give them a hard assignment and see them, um, you know, struggle through it. I think that's where it can kind of be dangerous and be very negative. Yeah, I think that's a healthy middle ground to my general general thought on it, which is, you know, if somebody gives you something that is is framed that way, right, where it is an abstract request and you have to spend over eight hours to do it, um, I find that to be a signal to the culture of that organization. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the general advice that I give to people that are in those positions is to not apply right? It's just really that simple. Yeah. If, if I, if I had an interview and someone said, okay, here's your assignment, come back. I, I would just say, no, no, thanks. No, thank you. Um, but you know, at that organization that did do those interviews, I went through that process and it was, you know, we want you to present and it's open-ended there. You know, it was, it was a friendly discussion on, on what could, you know, and the recruiter helped me with it and said, here's, here's what we need you to do. And it's kind of, you can do what you want. And I sat down and, and presented on something that I was passionate about, um, which was um, vulnerability metrics of all things. And it, and it, and it, you know, went fairly well. Um, I was able to build something and it didn't feel like an assignment because I was, it was something I cared about. And I'm like, oh, I'm finally getting these thoughts that are in my brain into a presentation on paper. And to me, that's, those are the types of assignments that can be um, you know, do not feel like a waste of time where I spent eight hours working for this company who hasn't paid me. Right. Right. All right. I, well, I, that's the last question I had. Um, Jimmy Graham, thank you very much for attending. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Sure. And, uh, thank you. I guess I'll see you on Monday. All right. First interview in the bag. I hope everyone enjoyed that interview with Jimmy Graham, senior director of product management at Dragos, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.